Welcome to the Heart of England Speakers Podcast. My name is Pierre and I'm your host. Please come join us online or in person at the Sahelians every first and third Tuesday of the month. For all details, please go to our website, heartspeakers.org.uk. Today, I have a special guest. He's been a longtime member, a president, and a uh, someone who enjoys doing contests. So we definitely <laughs> want to talk about our current uh, speech champion, actually. Steve, hello, Steve. Hi, Pierre. <laughs> are you having a good day? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, doing well, thanks. Doing well. Excellent. Uh, before we get into everything, I always like to start at the beginning. So where are you from? I'm from um, Telford in Shropshire, England. Okay, you got to help me because I'm not familiar with too. Okay. I'm getting there, but I'm not entirely familiar with right. my UK geography. So, if you took Birmingham and you went northwest for about an hour, you'd be in the general vicinity of the Half- M54. Halfway to Manchester, then? Or? No, no, a little bit further over. As if you're more going towards Wales than towards Wales. Okay, no, the other way. More towards Wales and Liverpool, that direction. Got it. Okay. So, what did you study? Uh, I studied engineering, and hey, presto, I'm uh, I'm in an engineering job, which which was uh, yeah. Now I look back, I wished I'd done an art degree, but hey, you know something's got to pay the bills, hasn't it? It does. Yeah, I um. I uh, studied, well, I studied general engineering, generally manufacturing, that sort of thing. Um, by accident, I uh, I fell into the automotive industry, but I, I did go to university at uh, Coventry. So oh, Coventry. Okay. It, it was it was all kind of geared up for automotive anyway. And yes. um, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I basically ended up on... Uh, well, it was called Jaguar Cars at the time on their graduate scheme. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of uh, history, really. And so, uh, always been in that. Yeah, you said general engineering. So you didn't have like a specialty. Like uh, I studied mechanical myself. So that's why I ask. Yeah, it was it was more manufacturing based, actually. But of course, once you actually get into the industry, I thought, mm, don't kind of want to do this. So I ended up going to design and uh, engineering. So because, of course, as you well know, engineering is just a very, very broad term. You can be a civil engineer, you can be a chemical engineer, automotive engineers and then you can break it down once again can't you into design engineers 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 component engineers and you know it's a very large term that covers quite a lot and for myself I spend my days engineering plastic interior parts it's my speciality shall we say well I've worked on designing and building plastic engineering parts so I totally understand where you're coming from. Yes, yes. If I if I uh, if I remember rightly, you're you're on the side where you say, "Oh, we would like this," and it then comes to people like me to make it actually reality and get onto a car. No, me. I'm in. I'm in the crossfire. I'm a designer on my left. He wants something uh, mm-hmm. pretty and fast, and you're on my right saying oh, that's going to be hard to manufacture. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. Let me see if I can get you guys something <laughs> that will uh, please both of you. It never does. But oh, absolutely not. It's as long as you can tool it, you're okay. 
Yes. <laughs> Very well. So when did you join uh, Toastmasters? What was, what actually, let me start all over. Uh, what made you want to get into public speaking? Yes. Um, it, it's one of those things. It's uh, I've always, I don't know, enjoyed public speaking, but never really had an outlet. I think, as I've said a number of times, I'm probably a legend in my own mind, but there was no actual forum for me to, uh, you know, have a go at this. And I, I don't, I couldn't actually tell you how I got, I came across Toastmasters, really. I think it must be about six years ago. But I was probably going through one of my phases where I was looking for a, another hobby to do. And I had always liked speaking and speaking to groups of people. But like I said, never had really the um, opportunity to do the uh, to do the outlet for that. And I, I came, I must have just tapped it into Google at the time public speaking and Toastmasters came up and that must have been now let me think now in my first year I was a normal member mm -hmm. then I joined the committee as VPA then I was president and then there's been one two okay we're on our third president after myself so I must have been doing it for about six years now oh, whoa how, how time has flied shall we say <laughs> on that one but I, I think it was a love of being able to speak and as you can tell I can prattle on as long as I need to do so <laughs> well hey you said you wanted to find an outlet so there you go Absolutely. So, can you just how was your first year how did you was it obviously you've been at Toastmasters for a while now but mm -hmm. how was it was it did it match what you were thinking or um, I would assume yes and no. I must admit, it's it's quite hard to reach back that far. But, I, you know, you sit down at a Toastmasters meeting and then the people who have been there a while get up and you're going, oh, yeah, oh, that was good. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> and and then you're sort of thinking, oh, yeah, well, perhaps I do have quite a bit to, uh, bit to learn here. Okay, great, because that was the whole reason for turning up in the first place as well to become more polished at this. And I think in the first year, it's kind of like everybody, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, controlling those nerves when you get into the room and you get up there and you can feel good old butterflies going. And to you, you're sort of gibbering like a wreck. The fact that probably most of that isn't coming across to the audience is little consolation for the inner turmoil you get when you're actually up there sort of you know going through your first presentation so I, th I think that was probably the first thing and of course building up the, the basic criteria to help you with your speaking like your your speech structures um your vocal variety which has always been probably one of my achilles heels you know and then the other one, of course, your your body language, etc. So you know you've got a you've got a nice little program there that takes you forward on that, and that was that was really good to have that structure to sort of you know build yourself up, and then you can start developing yourself out. And like I think I said um, before, uh, in a meeting, once you know the rules, then you can learn how to break the rules properly to get the impact that you're looking for.
Oh, we'll definitely get to that. But right now, <laughs> let's just take that step by step. Okay, so your first year, I'm sure you learned a lot. And then you said you were VPE, right? Vice yeah. President of Education. Mm. So how was your experience? That is, that it was a good one because you actually really learn how a club and how people work in that case. Uh, you got to the... Uh, because of course as VPA you're you're organizing it you've got a number of things to do make sure that everybody gets a role that can and then you sort of make every meeting you make sure that everybody's trying to get a different role so you organize all that out but the one thing you do realize is until the people are in the room you don't know who's going to turn up because many a times you've sort of had to run round um right can you do this can you do that and of course everybody who's there is accommodating because of course you know everybody wants their roles and everybody wants to help because that's the, the whole ethos you're with um people who are like-minded and are there to to help you out and help the club out and so you do you do get the you know you'll get speakers that will you know call off at the last minute because life happens however and you have to sort of deal with that on the hoof quite quickly when there might not always be another person around who can just sort of, you know, pull up a speech like that. So you have to think of other things of how, how to manage the meeting. That might mean that table topics is a bit longer and you'll find a way to filling it out. So it is a bit, it is probably one of the most challenging roles and it, on a sort of meeting basis because as VPA you, you tend not to switch off in a meeting because in a way you're you're organizing it the Toastmaster is running it but you know got to make sure everybody's there and everybody's sort of you know got their roles and you know you you, you can't always switch off in a meeting is what I found different for other people but yeah that was me but I enjoyed it I don't think you, uh, you enjoyed your role so much. Then you became president. How was your year as president? President, yeah, president was good. I, I must admit, it did take me, because, of course, you steer the committee, and it it, it did take me, I would say, probably three, three to five months to really work out what I wanted to do as president. And, and I think, for me, the, the crux of it, because, of course... As president, you could just sort of, you know, just just have the committee meetings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for me, of course, being the attention seeker I am, I also believe it's important for the president to either do a little bit of bookending of a meeting, like the front end and the back end, um, because for me, you're you're there as the your chief cheerleader, basically. You're you're there that when the guests have come in and like, you know, you're the you're there as the first person they kind of see when the meeting starts, because you're there to, to reinforce to them that coming through the door was the best thing that they've done and that we can offer something to them. Also there to help bring up the energy in the room so everybody is engaged in that. And then sort of move that over to the Toastmaster. And then at the end, leave the meeting as well. Uh, pump everybody up there. We've had a great meeting. Bring up the um, 
bring up all the club business and what's going on as well. But you are there to, you know, make that experience in the meeting very much, you know, we've all had a good evening. And it, and it normally is a, a generally easy job because, of course, you know, I, I don't I don't ever remember coming out of a meeting with everybody going, oh, God so disappointed about that it's you know you know it just doesn't happen and i think as president you know you're there to help the guests and they have made the right decision if they decide to join is uh is anything of the any of those skills as vpe and president did that transfer into professional life in any way i i i, th- I think the, because of course a lot of us come from backgrounds where we're, we're either managing or organizing people anyway but I, I think as a whole package as the Toastmasters ethos etc and as VP or president of whatever roles you you take on you, you'll always get something you'll, you'll always it's not just being able to communicate to a group but it's also individual communication that you find improves as well and yeah, it, it cannot but help, shall we say, having those sort of roles, uh, because of course you're you're, shall we say, leading rather than managing. Well, you're kind of managing as uh, uh, principal of education, but you're it's a it's a different group of people that you probably would do in your own workplace. So that is also very valuable, is the uh, interaction with a lot of different people. Very well. Very nice. Okay, so all these roles, and then there are uh, uh, contests. So there are um, humor, speech contests, and uh, the international mm. contest. And I know you like to, you said, Steve, that you like to speak, and it's all good. <laughs> also like to do contests. So when was the first time you entered a contest? Uh, it, it must have been the humorous speech contest, probably in my first year. Oh, your first year? Uh, I entered that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I came, I came second that year at the club. So, unfortunately, that's how that journey particularly ended. But contests are always good as a a barometer on your own personal progress when you've done a few and when you start doing them to adding a new dimension to your speech, basically, because, of course, when you're doing it to the group, it's, you know, if you if you kind of fluff it up a bit, it, it doesn't really matter that much. You'll get your feedback from it. But of course, in a contest, you have to be that more much more polished to you know get through to the next round so and and also it is a very good one for if you've if you've lost a lot of your your nerves for speaking shall we say you'll you'll be able to control them it is then better to do a contest whichever one of the four that you do is because of course the nerves go back up again and you have to, it's a new level of learning on how to control yourself and forcing you into a point where you polish your speeches off a lot better. You look at it in a more whole way. You rehearse it to the point where you, once you're within your first couple of sentences, 
you're you're off you're off and running and that gives you the time to sort of work on the other things about it which would be your hand gestures your stagecraft basically where you would go on the stage etc so it helps boost the level of should we say overall overall effort that you put into this so is that is that your main the main reason for you to enter just to check yourself and check your progress or do you like to compete or both it, it's it's uh, it's all of that really uh, it's there to sort of you know keep keep your levels up but also yeah i do i do like uh, i do like competing uh i mean you know you still every time you get up you're still sort of you know got a lot of angst about the entire event and think to yourself why am i putting myself through this stress <laughs> really i really because of course what you don't see of course are the hours of practice the weeks it's taken you to actually craft the speech thinking about it uh, thinking to yourself is that a good idea is that not how's that going to play How's that going to play, not just at club level, but how will that play at area level? How would that play at divisional level? Because, of course, every time you go up to the next rung of the ladder, it's a, it's a, it's a totally different set of people. And that's why you'll find a lot of universal subjects tend to play uh, a lot better. Actually, that brings me uh, to a good, a good segue. Um, I mean, I entered contest myself. I, you know, I didn't just for the same reason, just to check mm. myself and, you know, just to compete because I enjoy it also. Uh, I, I joined a couple of years after you. And mm. I know you and I were in a few contests together. And I know you didn't win a few times when I entered. I mean, neither did I, I might add. <laughs> and then one time you actually did win and you did say, you know, it's not just an overnight success. I remember that you, you were saying it was not just an overnight success. It took a while to get there. So mm. what are the things you learned that got you over the hump? Yeah, I, I, I think the thing is, um, is a good story. And, you know, even if you have to make it up, what did I hear somebody say to me this last time? Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. So you can feel it, you can embellish as much as you want. And people will sort of relate to that. That's, that's kind of what I've noticed over the years I've been doing the, uh, the humorous speech contest or any contest is that, uh, yeah, stories and stories that people relate to in everyday sort of life tend to go down a lot better in any, any situation. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that, that's pretty obvious, Steve. You know, you should have thought of that. Well, yes, but there's different types of subject. The subjects that I find interesting and I think, oh, that, that's really good. Oh, oh, I'll do that. But... It might be a niche interest and the people around me might not relate to it as well. And I mean, you bring in all the other stuff about, you know, body movements, props and all the other good things. If I've learned anything out of contests, it is if you do get round to the next round, then as long as you have 
improved your speech, you're doing it better than you did the last time, that's all you can ask out of yourself. Uh, it's, got, it's got to a point where I, I now don't even listen to the other speeches until I've, I've finished mine hmm. because I find that it, it can be quite off-putting. And a, a little story of this is the first time I got to division in the humorous speech contest, uh, we were in, I think we were in Nottingham in this rather small room, you know, 50-odd people crammed in there. And, of course, there's six, six speakers. I get pulled to speak last. So um, I didn't realise you could actually stand outside if you wanted. So I'm on the front row and, you know, everybody's speaking before me and I'm there going, oh, oh, that's good. Uh, oh, oh. And also, I've never sat still with such a high heart rate for a half an hour. Oh, dear, I could feel my heart thumping out of my chest. But it was a good experience because of that experience, of that stress, and also being able to see other people naked, uh, and then sort of having, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, I, I, I like the way they've done that. And you can see how other people's speech structures probably play better than your, in your own. And, I mean, nobody likes to lose. If, 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 you, if you don't place an act, you know, you're, 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 you should you should be knocked and not happy because if you're not, where's the investment? That that's the point. And then and then what you'll do, you'll you'll have your couple of hours I was robbed sort of thing, sometimes maybe. But then you'll step back and you'll think, hmm, yeah, I, I, I like that. And I can see you when you're in there, you naturally can see the people's whose speeches gel very well and you think, yeah. I, I know that one's better than my one and mm. I know why. And that's also a good thing is you get a large diaspora of different people and the way they do things in other clubs, in other areas. And, and that's all, all part of building that experience up. And, and that's also one of the great things about the contests is the diversity you'll get in speakers and the way they speak and the way different clubs will will work and their speakers, you know, what they think is interesting and what um, what will win a contest. How did you uh, do out of six then? Oh, yeah, I didn't place. I mean, I've, I've had a very torturous, very torturous, shall we say, um, contest history on that. I think at club level, I've been... For the first three years, I was second for three years in a row. Um, but because on some on after the first year, the second year it was run, the first two could go through to area. So if if I tallied everything up from club to area, it's like three seconds, two wins, one third for for club, and then it's two wins, two seconds for area. And then at that level, once I get to division, evidently I don't seem to have, shall we say, the right speech in there. And, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes I do think, yeah, I, I know why I didn't place or I didn't come in there. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you think to yourself, mm, that was a bit odd. 
but that's life. And I mean, as you can see, I've done this contest a good few times. So don't be put off anybody by not getting the results you want. Just keep plugging away and you and you were it, it will always make you better as a speaker. It's the practice, right? I mean absolutely practice at the high level, you'll get higher rewards, obviously. Exactly. Question for you. Uh, I've been a judge on those contests as well. And you know, you're given a grid sheet about the things mm -hmm. to look out for. Do you think that and I don't know the answer. I'm just asking a question. Do you think that it's maybe too much of a formula to get the right speech? Like, do you tick all the boxes? I mean, you have to. Yes, you have to tick the boxes. You have to, you know, speak well and articulate and have a good voice. Mm. But is it maybe too much of tick all the boxes? Does that make sense? Uh, Meaning you, I, don't, I, you I, don't go for the speech, you go for the box ticking. Absolutely. There is something in that. And I know what you're saying, because if you look at past winners and when they're speaking about it, you get a number of them that do say, like, you know, I didn't have any success. But then what I did was I looked at the judging sheet and basically, yeah, tick that box, tick that box, tick that box. So and I figured I The Olympics are on TV, right? So like mm. getting, you have a imposed uh, loop to go through, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's an unfair comment to make, to be honest. I mean, it's like a, a it's kind of the best system we kind of have at the moment. But I, I would also, yeah, I would sort of, you know, I hadn't even thought of that until you brought it up. And maybe... Maybe there should be a box for artistic merit or whatever that you can just put a, a score in, like yeah, in yeah. figure skating. Yeah, technically, yes. Do you technically click mm. all the boxes, but do you have, you know, flair with it is the question. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I actually believe that is a, it's a very good uh, observation. And I'd be, uh, I'd be very, uh, I'd be very keen to see that be um, put into contests because, yeah, I, I believe that uh, that that is a very valid point. Hmm. Well, I haven't done a contest in a while. Maybe next year. I don't think this year, but I think I, I think having a good story to tell, even you know, true or not, is definitely the um, mm. right way to go. For those who, of you who don't know, when Steve is the uh, table topic master, meaning that. <laughs> has a rule over all of us to ask us about anything he is notorious for giving us topics that are completely out of left field and you have no chance <laughs> of answering in their earth one you have to really go out on a limb and yeah and stress yeah. yourself which is kind of nice to be fair but it is kind of daunting also yeah i for table topics i because of course when you first start uh, a lot of people you're looking for an experience in your life that you can relate to the topic. What I like to do is basically give a topic that's not too hard, but, you know, not many people have gone mining on an asteroid. Something Tell like me about that experience. And, and it forces you to make it up. It's, it's always the advice I give to anybody who's doing table topics or anybody who's a, you know, a bit nervous guests and that. To, 
It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be about life experience. Just make it up. If you want to talk about unicorns and weave it in somehow, talk about unicorns. You know, Do you find it the, easier? Like in a tabletop situation, do you find it easier to talk about something completely made up or drawing from your own experience? It depends. If That's you've got a, it, it really does depend because sometimes you'll have that moment where, oh, I can put that story in. And I, and I think I've done it once or twice, the one where I thought I was the flash and I thought I was faster than electricity. Evidently, go. that was not the case, as my heart told me. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if, you do, if something doesn't readily come along or there's not something you want to say about the subject, always fall back on just making it up. And also what you do with table topics is, and this is the same for speeches, the more you do it, the more you'll have ingrained strategies on how to do it. You'll, you'll know, okay, and you won't, you won't panic about it when you do get a subject you know okay right okay i can't think of anything in my life as connecting with that i can't think of anything much right let's try a bit of left ball and the whole thing is to keep going keep going and even when your first thread of thought runs out is to try and get into that second thread of thought and move on and that and that's how uh, i feel table topics really makes its uh, its value to you Mm. Uh, did you ever enter the table topic contest? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, right. Well, this is about a, this is one of those tragic moments, isn't it? Because <laughs> I, I just just started, I think, basically. I mean, I've been, been a member for, I don't know, I can't remember, a few months anyway, about three or four months, I think, by that time. And of course, I had been voted best table topics for about the four four consecutive meetings. Wow. So I thought, well, Steve, you're awesome. Yes. Well, I entered the contest, didn't I? Well, it couldn't have gone worse, could it? I pulled a complete and absolute blank, like a rabbit in headlights. It was... And of course, by that time, I still hadn't got the experience to fall back on something. And I'd already been riding, I thinking, yeah, I'm awesome. And then you come to that moment, you go, oh boy, yeah. And it basically crashed and burnt at that point. However, despite that being a very stressful experience and not exactly pleasant, it was a nice little learning loop. But that was the one and only time. I, uh, I entered table topics. I, I might have done it once before, but because table topics is done with the humorous speech, mm-hmm. I decided that it was I would rather put my energies into the speech rather than having to think about table topics at the same time. But yeah, all these wonderful little experiences of ups and downs to give you nice little learning points. You know, I like the fearlessness. I really do. So. <laughs> Speaking of fear and good story, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the famous story of Steve and the humorous speech contest. Would you like to share with the audience about your trip to my old neck of the woods, actually, in Michigan? Yay! Yeah, yeah. This was basically, um, I'd gone over to uh, work 
in Detroit. Detroit, close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. And I was, we were, we, I was, well, basically, I was a recruitment of one. And anyway, of course, as you well know, moving to different countries and that takes a little bit of time to integrate with the natives, shall mm-hmm. we say, and make friends and do. Uh, and so one Friday, I'm in the bar with, you know, a couple of guys. And they said, do you want to come to this uh, deer camp party? I hadn't got a clue what it was, but I thought, well, you know, what have I got to lose? Well, anyway, this is a drive to the middle of nowhere up at the Upper Peninsula in Detroit. And for all that don't know, the only things that are there are trees and wild animals. Yes, you, you know, have to drive at least five hours, yeah. four hours from Detroit to the top of the, the exactly. top of the mitts. So Michigan looks like a hand, so you're mm. basically under your thumb, way under the thumb. You have to go all the <laughs> way to the uh, your major yeah. finger, and that takes a while. It and then you have to go into the upper peninsula, which I don't know where you went, but that takes another hour, two hours, wherever you may go. Yeah, so I, I have no idea where i was and in fact looking back neither did anybody else on the planet know where i was but you crossed so the ambassador I, bridge right i uh no, not the ambassador bridge. you crossed the uh, Mackinac bridge to be quite honest at this distance i can't remember but i do remember i ended up in a clearing <laughs> in the middle of a forest where you could hear no cars see no planes going over and i was surrounded by probably about 30 to 40 very drunk americans by time the evening got to you know the sun had gone down the fire was there and my mate comes up and says yeah we're doing the annual butt darts contest right i just got scenes of deliverance to be quite honest in my mind and i thought to my mind when you mentioned uh, the yeah in the middle of nowhere go on and and I, and I thought to myself, it's, it's either going to be hunting a limey, isn't it? You know, they're going to give me a head start and then they're going to, you know, come after me with their guns. But anyway, the, the butt darts was, uh, yeah, so, you know, we have this butt darts contest. And this is basically where you will turn your back on an empty jam jar and you'll be one metre away. You will put or clench 25 cent coin between your butt cheeks you will walk back over the jam jar and relax and drop the coin into the jam jar now i found that evidently i'm quite talented at this my gluteus maximus was in control and i got uh, i got to the final against last year's champion and this is one of those moments where you're thinking, oh, boy, because by this time I was surrounded by 30, 30 very drunk Americans all screaming USA. You know, it couldn't, couldn't have been far, far removed of, you know, being off home turf here. Well, anyway, um, I met I, I did. We did five for five and it went to sudden death. Wow. And. You know, I, I, get, I came back and I'm, these, all these guys are screaming, you know, USA, USA. Goes hush when it's your go. It's a bit like the tennis. So I make my way back, relax. And I saw this coin just tumble down and it just clipped 
the edge of the jam jar and fell the wrong side. Oh, oh dear. I, I actually was horrifically disappointed and relieved at the same time because yes. the champ then turned up and, you know, dropped one in and that was it. Lots of screaming above on shoulders. They were getting very passionate about this. And that, you don't want to beat the locals of their own game. That's not right. Well, no, no. But uh, but there was absolutely nothing in my mind that said, Steve, you should throw this. I, <laughs> I suppose, should we say, that's my uh, competitive spirit coming out, going yeah. beyond what would be logically a good idea. But yes, I was gutted to say the least that i missed dropping a coin into a jam jar when uh when i was competing that time against you with that story and when i heard that story i'm like okay this one's winning and uh <laughs> you did also yeah, I, well, that I, was the run i thought i was going to do the best but i won club i won area and once again division seemed to be seemed to be the blocking point for me but every time i did it I did do it better than I did the last time. So that's the takeaway. But that was an interesting experience in life, yeah. shall we say. No, again, I think that story and the way you told it was spot on. And uh, I'm surprised that you didn't go further, to be honest. Yeah, me are, there more, is it, are there more conservative as you go up into the contest ladder? Uh, uh, this is why I said really at the beginning when you're thinking about your speech, you're not just thinking about how it plays at your club. Mm -hmm. You've got to think how it plays at your area. And then, like you say, you don't know who you're getting at division. It might be an older crowd, etc. So does your speech play well at that? Would it play speech play well if you were sitting in the, uh, in the semifinals of the international or, you know, It, it's a consideration, and these are the things that you learn the more contests you actually do. Do you have any uh, piece of advice for anybody wanting to enter a contest? I would just say to enter, give it a go, and be very observant of what other people do and how, how their speeches play their topics that they use now sometimes you know it might be in vogue one week one year and not in the other but it is very much sort of have a go because it is only through personal experience that you will actually improve yourself you can you can study as much as you like and I, and people can give you as much advice as you like it's not until you're doing that you're really learning in this uh, particular forum. I will agree to that. But also add that I spent 19 years in Michigan and I never heard. <laughs> I had to come to the UK to listen about the story of Michigan butters. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Steve, for all that. And um, one thing I also meant to ask you, and I forgot, but mm -hmm. I want to ask you now, Yes, you're an engineer, but you are redeemable. You're also an artist. Tell us about your art. I, I, I must admit, I, I do. There is a frustrated artist living within me. We all are. Uh, exactly. Well, or, or a frustrated writer like all of us. But 
I think it's one of those things that I've got I've got the time to indulge myself in doing it. So I, I like uh, I like sculpting in clay. You know, I'm I'm very uh, into my uh, my glass casting. I like I love working with glass. Mm. Unfortunately, um, as I'm in an apartment, um, they seem to be upset for having a kiln in here. Like I say, there's something something about fire and heat that people don't like in an apartment. So I am looking to move to uh, somewhere where I can have that. Of course, we've all had this two-year hiatus in life and so this would have happened a couple of years ago but it's it's happening now and it's something i find relaxing along with working out as well you know it's very de-stressing you actually have your own kiln because those tend to take a lot of room (laughs) yeah that's what i say i i I can't get one until i move and once i move i can i can get one but yeah there's literally no way I can have one at the moment. When I was in Detroit, obviously, there was a big community of artists. There was a big school where I went, and they had, you know, a central kiln where people used to mm-hmm. blow glass. Where do you uh, blow glass around Warwickshire, anyway? Uh, I'm not really into the glass blowing myself. There, there, I, I did a summer school like now a few years ago, and um, it's, there's one outside Bristol. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can go and learn to do this. And it all seems to be around that sort of Bristol area where you get uh, a lot of the glass um, blowers, either companies or art stu- or studios where you can go and learn the skill. But you also know, learn that for glass blowing, it's not for complicated glass blowing. It, it, isn't, it isn't one person doing it. It's a team effort. You know, you'll be the head blower, uh, but, you know, there will be at least two or three other people, you know, helping you out there, moving the glass around from uh, from stick to stick, shall we say. So, But, yeah, it's, it's really something cool. in the future that I really want to get into. Okay. You mentioned uh, clay. You never thought about switching maybe to automotive clay modeling? Um. I, I don't know. I'd never, I'd never really thought that. I never really thought of it like that. Uh, but hey, maybe yeah, it could be an idea. Could imagine myself with a bit of clay. But this is another thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a difference between your job and your hobby. Or True. hobby, you want to kind of become a a job. It. Because it's that fine line, isn't it? The enjoyment. When you industrialize what you're doing, does it take the enjoyment away from it? And yeah, I mean, these are all wonderful questions. It's probably a preferable way to earn a living. But when you you have deadlines for things to do, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was asking, I'm fortunate that, I live and breathe what I do and I get paid for it. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that that's the that's a great thing. If you for if you've got to a to a, a job where you, you know, all aspects of it, you you enjoy it and it's what you've really wanted to do. That's that's great. And I mean, even even a job I do as an engineer, there are aspects of it that, you know, the problem solving, that's all good stuff. But of course, there's an absolute storm of paperwork and meetings that have to 
happen as well, which are probably not as enjoyable, um, you know, as uh, problem solving is. So there's unfortunately that's a larger proportion of an engineer's job than it is solving problems. Okay. Well, I figure I would bring bring this up. You never know. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a, an engineer myself by training, and I I couldn't finish. I mean, I finished my diploma, but I couldn't. I couldn't stand that feeling. I had to be a little more creative. And since I see you on the bubble, I was wondering. I don't know. You never well, know. You never know what opportunities will turn up. Indeed. Well, Steve, I think thank you very much for this conversation. It was uh, hilarious, insightful, and funny at the same time. So thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. Once again, my name is Pierre, and I was your host for the Heart of England Speakers podcast. Please join us the first and third Tuesday of the month at the Sicilians are online. For all details, please go to our website, heartspeakers.org.uk. And until the next time, bye-bye.